in the scripture that we hear this week. But this week, hear the redemptive grace. Hear the mighty power of God at work. Even when we, as human beings, can totally falter. So at this point, if you're following along online, we're in Genesis chapter 45, verses 1 through 15. Genesis 45, verses 1 through 15. If, if you want to follow along, you're welcome to. You can get your, your app out, or if you have a Bible with you, you're welcome. We'd love for you to follow along. But if you're willing and able, would you stand to hear the reading of God's Word? Then Joseph could no longer control himself before all those who stood by him. And he cried out, Send everyone away from me. So no one stayed with him when Joseph made himself known to his brothers. And he wept so loudly that the Egyptians heard it and the house of Pharaoh heard it. Joseph said to his brothers, I am Joseph. Is my father still alive? But his brothers could not answer him. So dismayed were they at his presence. Then Joseph said to his brothers, come closer to me. And they came closer. He said, I am your brother Joseph, whom you sold into slavery. And now do not be distressed or angry with yourselves, because you sold me here. For God sent me before you to preserve life. For the famine has been in the land these two years, and there are five more years in which there will be neither plowing nor harvest. God sent me before you to preserve for you a remnant on earth and to keep alive for you many survivors. So it was not you who sent me here, but God. He has made me a father to Pharaoh and Lord of all his house and ruler over all the land of Egypt. Hurry. And go to my father and say to him, Thus says your son Joseph, God has made me Lord of all Egypt. Come down to me. Do not delay. You shall settle in the land of Goshen, and you shall be near me. You and your children and your children's children, as well as your flocks, your herds, and all that you have. I will provide for you there since there are five more years of famine to come so that you and your household and all that you have will not come to poverty. And now your eyes and the eyes of my brother Benjamin see that is my own mouth that speaks to you. You must tell my father how greatly I am honored in Egypt and all that you have seen. Hurry and bring my father down here. Then he fell upon his brother Benjamin's neck and wept. While Benjamin wept upon his neck, and he kissed all his brothers and wept upon them. And after that, his brothers talked with him. The word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. Will you, will you pray with me as we begin? Lord, we hear the word of God, this Sunday school lesson. And we just ask this morning that instead of, instead of holding it at an arm's distance, uh, the more we learn about 
Benjamin and his brothers. And this encounter they had with their their long-lost brother. Lord, remind us that we are to see ourselves within the humanity that's revealed in our scripture and show us the transformation that you yearn for each and every one of us through your word. May the words of my mouth and the meditations of our hearts be acceptable in your sight. O Lord, our rock and our redeemer. Amen. So we've been in Genesis in this Sunday school lesson. Welcome back to Sunday school, by the way. And uh, we have been bringing out some of the old, old stories. And this is truly one of the oldest of the stories. These are the origin stories of the people of God. Um, all, all of Genesis. Genesis means beginning. This is how human beings began to make sense of who we are. What is the nature of our humanity? Who God is? And what is the relationship between God and humanity? Every single one of the characters we've mentioned so far, they're still trying to make sense of all of this. There's not a lot of examples that have gone before. We're really, in terms of Genesis, we're only about in the fifth generation of human beings that have been described uh, in the history of Israel, dating back to Abraham. So, what have we seen? Well, if you just take a big step back, big picture, there, there's family feud after family feud after family feud. And if you want to get even more specific, there's a sibling rivalry. Reverend Chris talked about that a little bit last week. Um, and if you want to get even closer, uh, there's fratricide, there's the, the murder of brothers, the plotting of murder of brothers. We find that in Joseph's story. He has 11, 10 older brothers and one full brother. He and Benjamin, Joseph and Benjamin, share a mother in Rachel. Uh, but uh, his father, Jacob, has four wives, and, you know, we're not going to go there today. <laughs> But just imagine how convoluted, we know that like blended families or messy families, actually there is no family that's not messy. Isn't that true? Okay. <laughs> so uh, so no judgment here per se because the culture is completely different. But imagine having uh, three stepmoms and ten stepbrothers and actually probably had, he had at least one stepsister that we know of and one full brother and he was the his full brother's the only one he was older than. So that kind of dynamic was bound to cause issues and rivalries in there. Now, Reverend Chris uh, gave a good treatment last week of how Joseph and his brothers got to the place where Joseph was sold into slavery. I mean, not, I'm not saying it was a good thing that it happened, but that's where we got to ourselves last week. Now, we're several chapters later. And the scripture that Reverend Chris just read actually skips over a lot. Not only was Joseph traded into slavery, but then he was traded again and again 
and again, and maybe even a fifth time before he was actually in a slave in the prison in uh, Pharaoh's conglomeration. So imagine the kinds of, I mean, you can go back and read, and I encourage you to just kind of take this story in. It's crazy. It weaves a tale kind of like our lives do. I have often said to people, I look around and I'm like, how did I get here from, from where I was? Uh, I never knew when I answered God's call that I would end up in Louisiana or that I would have been in campus ministry for a decade or, you know, we never know where, where we're going to end up. Some of those things are of our own doing. You had, uh, the way this mystery unfolds for, for Joseph is he's a spoiled brat, the favorite of his father, right? He's raised amid sheaves and sheep and he, uh, he, he was a braggart among his brothers. He was a dreamer of dreams, and those dreams showed that one day the youngest, the last, would be first, right? The youngest would be the one who would be bowed down to by the older brothers, and the other brothers, they didn't like hearing that. So, uh, not a justification, obviously, but uh, they schemed to murder him. There was only one brother, Reuben, who said, uh, oh, do we really have to kill him? What if we just abandon him? <laughs> well, let's just put him in a pit. So he convinced the brothers to do that, but little did, uh, little did those other brothers know that Reuben was going to go back, rescue uh, Jacob from the pit, or Joseph from the pit, but then sell him into slavery. And then uh, there's a convoluted plot. It doesn't get any less convoluted from there because as joseph goes from slave trader and slave owner to slave owner he uh he comes up against other hardships he does gain a reputation not as a dreamer anymore but as an interpreter of dreams and so eventually he's brought to pharaoh's court where pharaoh has been plagued by a dream and uh, interprets this dream to tell Pharaoh that there's going to be seven years of famine in the land, drought, and nothing's going to grow. And uh, if, uh, if you're a leader of, of that kind of population, you have a responsibility to make sure that your people aren't just going to die because you didn't plan ahead. So because, of, uh, because Joseph proved him, proves himself so, so wise to the dream, he ends up being appointed basically as minister of agriculture, which is at least as important a job there as it would be in a place where, you know, rice farming is rampant like where we are. Anybody who makes decisions for the farmers influences an enti- the entire population. And uh, that's why when his brothers, he finally reveals himself to his brothers, he says that he's the father to the Pharaoh. There's still a little braggart in this kid. You know, he may have grown up a little, he's learned a lot, but uh, humility still isn't one of his strong suits. All right, so Joseph has had to get used to a new culture. He's been immersed in a new language. He's been dressed in different cultural clothing and given responsibilities that he never would have had unless he had come to this place on this convoluted path. 
As much as this story is about how Joseph is saved by God's grace, it is also the story about how the whole future of the nation of Israel is given a chance because Joseph in his position is able to act on their behalf. Because here comes, here come the brothers. They're sent by their father to ask for this grain that had been stored up by the Pharaoh. And uh, if you know anything about asking for help, is it easy? It's not easy to ask for help, especially when you've been self-sufficient before. It is so hard to say, uh, please, you know, I'm coming, I'm begging you. I'm not going to survive unless I get a little help. So the brothers come ready to grovel. And it's a cat and mouse game. Joseph recognizes them right away, but maybe it's because how he's dressed. Or maybe, you know, there's facial hair that wasn't there before. Or maybe it's just because he speaks his new language so well, and he doesn't speak to them in Hebrew, that they're, they have no idea that this is the brother they left for dead. It goes on, they send him back, he says, where don't you have another brother? And they have to go get Benjamin. And then when you come back with Benjamin, Benjamin gets thrown in prison with a couple other brothers and they come begging Joseph, if we cannot bring our youngest brother home, our father will die heartsick. You have to let Benjamin go. Let's Benjamin go. Has anybody seen um, Les Mis, where Javert, or where the, the, the anyway, somebody steals a piece of, of silver, and Javert takes them back, and the priest says, no, no, I gave him these things. Well, it's kind of like that, where he puts, Joseph puts this silver goblet cup into Benjamin's bag, and then he gets arrested. It's like this crazy story. There's no redemption here. Everybody is making bad choices all the way around. Uh, The brothers are doing what their father asked them to do. So at least in that, there is some righteousness toward their father. Joseph was hurt. He's acting out of his hurt. Uh, the, The brothers are kind of wondering what's going on. Everybody else is leaving with bags of wheat and we have to keep coming back and doing special assignments. What's going on here? And then this moment that the scripture came to today. This moment where Joseph says these words, I am your brother. What were the brothers thinking? Now, it does say in the word that we read today that he was, they were dismayed. <laughs> Could that be an understatement? dismay. There are other ways that that's interpreted in the scripture. Troubled, it would be another word. Terrified, it says in the New International Version. I imagine if I had been in their shoes, that I would have felt guilt. And probably over the years, I would have felt remorse Even though, you know, in that hateful moment, I would really have wanted harm to come to my brother. You know, stepping back, and once the heat of the moment is gone, I would have wondered a lot. What if 
What if we had changed our minds? What if we had reconciled when we were younger? Was there fear? Oh my gosh. (laughs) Oh, I can't believe it. Now what's he going to do to us? Will he retaliate? You know, how could he possibly have anything other than malice toward us? Do you think maybe even one of them remembered the dreams that he had shared with them around the dinner table about how they would all have been sheaves of wheat bowing down to the Joseph sheave of wheat? Probably at least one of them remembered that and thought with irony, well, we've gotten here after all, haven't we? It leaves open a wide variety of reactions contained in those words, dismayed and terrified and troubled. The brother whom they thought was long gone from their lives appears in a very dramatic and powerful fashion. And for verses and verses and verses, they are struck dumb. They have nothing to say. And there is a sense in which when we have harmed someone, that there's no words that we can eat, right? We can't take back hurtful words that we have said. We cannot magically heal bruises, whether, whether physical or uh, emotional, that we have caused. We do harm to each other. And there's nowhere that harm happens more often than in our families. Families are are messy. Families are complicated. And while we're growing up in our family, while we're trying to come of age, the decisions that we make, even though we may grow out of ages and phases, the decisions we make that impact people, we can't take them back. I want to point to this, though. I want to point to the fact that Joseph probably needed all this cat and mouse time games to feel out where the brothers have grown. He knows how far he has come, and he's at peace with where he is. But he wants to know, if I let my brothers in again, Will they hurt me again? Have you been there before? I've been harmed. I want to forgive. But if I let somebody in, will, will I be vulnerable again? And I want to say what I see in these verses is the remorse of the brothers. Just the fact that they don't even say anything. They're not making any excuses. They're not, uh, they're not saying, oh, but we were young back then and boys will be boys. They don't make any excuses. They sit and they listen and they cannot believe their ears that this brother has already forgiven them. He's worked through it. He already took his time out. I don't know if you caught that verse where he kind of he leaves and cries on his own for a while. And then he's good and he comes back. He worked that forgiveness through his heart. And that is God's grace that came to him. Because there is no reason he should have forgiven them. There's, he had every reason to hold against them their whole lives. And yet because Jacob 
uh, is the more benevolent because God gives him the humility to be able to say, okay, we all know what got us here. But we're in a position where this whole thing can be redeemed. And I want to tell you that this happens only by God's grace. This happens when we say, all right, I, I don't make the best decisions for myself. God, lead and guide me and help me to see how you can make something better come out of the mess that we've made of our lives together. There could be a couple of theological extremes here. I just want to take this little sidebar and say there are a lot of ways to come at the text. And there are a lot of things that are said in there that uh, that lend themselves this way. Jacob sa- J- uh, Joseph says, you know, this is why God brought me here. And so that might be one way to interpret. could be to say that um, that human action is really irrelevant, that we don't have any choice in what we do, because really, God's been in control all along. So whether you do, whether you don't, whether you say the right thing or the wrong thing, you know, really it's all part of what God has planned from the beginning. I think there's a... I have an issue with that as a Methodist. Uh, We're free willers, and uh, although we do believe that God has a will, we also think that human beings do as well. And so I do not believe that God causes uh, the bad in the world, but I do think that he can redeem. I see some amens out here. I think he can redeem uh, even the worst messes, the deepest pits we've dug for ourselves. He is the latter, the way out of that. Now, there's another possible extreme, which I think could also be problematic, which is that um, that the human and divine kind of work together, but God's will ultimately prevails. Okay, let me tell you a little bit more what I mean about this. So, humans are, are sinful, are sinful by nature. We we do sin, but really, since God has a plan. If you're part of that plan, he's going to kind of work his way around your sin to make sure that what he has planned is going to happen. So kind of like, um, you know, the scripture where he says, you know, even if you don't speak, the rocks are going to cry out. He's going to find he's going to find a way around whatever sins you commit or omit uh, in the world. And I think one of the consequences of this way of thinking is that human sin is then an agent of God's purpose. That, um, in this case, God somehow needed those brothers to abandon Joseph in order for Joseph to get to the place where he could save the future of all of God's people. Now, in that case, then that means that some sin is necessary and I, I'm, I take a little bit of exception to that because I think that sin is sin and all sin needs to be repented of. And I think that since God is good, God is nothing but good. God doesn't cause us to sin, but he gives us that free will that we can. So he can find a situation that is a complete mess and his grace is the redemption of it. If uh, 
if God didn't plan that the brothers did evil, which is what I want to describe, if, uh, if human beings seriously choose their actions and God seriously chooses God's actions, then God didn't plan the evil the brothers committed. Even though they attempted to get rid of Joseph, perhaps, you know, he worked a little bit into Reuben to try to make sure that, that Joseph didn't die. But uh, all the brothers are fully accountable for their sin, just like you and I are fully accountable for the things we, we do that do harm, for the things that we neglect to do that cause harm. We are responsible for that sin. On the other hand, we can celebrate the way God is able to use those awful situations to bring life and reconciliation. And he did that in the family of Jacob. He somehow, with God's grace, filled Joseph's heart with forgiveness and compassion for his family. There is no reason that that should have happened. By all accounts, he should have just said, too little, too late. But our God is a loving and forgiving God. And God placed his grace in Joseph for that moment and for that purpose. So you're allowed to make those choices. And then God is also allowed to uh, to come and with with your with your assent you know with your repentance to make good to make good on his promise for salvation we cannot avoid being accountable for actions which hurt and give pain to others whether on a personal level or on a larger level but it is the miraculous work of the holy spirit i believe which can overcome our sin, bring new life and possibilities to even the worst of the situations we find ourselves in. So friends, today, I know that there are broken relationships among us. I know that, uh, I just personally know that I have said things I wish I could take back. And uh, there, there are people that um, I hope the bridge isn't completely burned, but uh, where we are on opposite sides of issues and uh, where hurt has happened. And the first step will be, can I, can I claim my part in that? Can I acknowledge my own sin that I have brought into that situation? Can I claim that only God's grace can bring us through? Can I repent like the brothers? Can I feel remorse for what I've done so that I can let God into something that I can't heal myself, but only by God's grace he can? Lend yourself to the work of the Holy Spirit so we can overcome our sin and God can bring new life and possibilities into all of our relationships, starting at home. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen.